Welcome to the Conscious Consulting Podcast. My name is Julia Kallen and this episode explores the power of impact networks. My guest today is Ying Zhao Liu. When I met Ying for the first time in 2016, she was a director for user experience design at LinkedIn and lived at the same time at the Buddhist community. Today, Ying lives in Seattle and she is a leadership lecturer at Stanford University, artist, mother, designer and strategist at Converge and advisor at CCG. Ying is convinced networks are the future of work and organizations. In this podcast, we're exploring deeper into questions such as what is an impact network and how to cultivate a network mindset? What are the key success factors to grow and sustain impact networks? And what can we learn from nature? And could networks replace hierarchies for good? To make it easier for you, we created chapters. You can find the structures in the show notes and go directly to a topic that interests you most. Or simply listen to the whole thing. It is worthwhile. Enjoy. Ying, um, I'm just going to start right away into the question, what is an impact network? So first we have to contrast it with hierarchies because we, I think people all realize that the hierarchical organizations comes from essentially the industrial age. It has a mechanistic view of the world, but the, but the world is no longer that way, right? It's increasingly complex, increasingly vulnerable, uncertain all that, right? So how do we organize ourselves for the work that is meaningful and needs to be done, especially in the climate crisis, um, in a way that's actually more effective than hierarchical organizations? So uh, impact networks bring people together for shared purposes and seeks to organize collaboration in a way that can fit the complexity of the situation and allow emergence and adaptation um, so that we can learn as we go uh, in a more effective way to create real social change. What makes it so effective? Think about it as sort of a web of relationships, like an ecosystem. So an ecosystem doesn't have a particular like linear, you know, sort of project plan model, right? It doesn't, it doesn't care if a specific organism succeeds or does not, but it has the density of relationships and the variety of prototypes and iterations. So basically it aims at multiple approaches for uh, design and uh you know, validation all the time to see what could stick, what could work, right? And it's actually a very, very fast prototyping process. So a network essentially seeks to create that kind of density and the variety of collaborations and like support the energy that's already there um, instead of a hierarchical organization where it's essentially people are executing, you know, where the, the powers that be want to see happen, right? Which is actually very limited and can be limiting to the people in the organization. So a network is a way to support every node in the network and every node can become a leader when it's, when it's called for, when, when the energy is there. So, so leadership is um, maybe in relation to a situation or mm -hmm. a certain yes. challenge or a certain skill and mm -hmm. it's distributed and it's, it's shifting, as you said, yeah. here and there. Yeah, we actually say that um, everyone in the network should lead some of the time uh, because we absolutely believe that it's not about a sort of a specific person but it's actually about the purpose and when we are there aligned to a purpose everyone has sort of the characteristics or the skill set to lead particular aspects of the work aligned to that purpose i mean there needs to be some kind of minimum coordination also yes. maybe to prevent that there's a power accumulation which 
oftentimes yeah. naturally happens that, that people maybe attract more power and then there is mm-hmm. you know, a, a disbalance. Yeah, I think there's a pretty current discourse on governance, right, which is very much related to the topic you're talking about. What does leadership look like? Who decides who decides, right? What are the sort of checks and balances to uh, to, to basically check the power? Um, so it's a, it's a very rich dialogue and we'll only touch on like very small aspects of it. Um, but in the network model, I would say first the idea that it's not a pyramid structure, right? Like a typical hierarchy in our mind has someone at the top or someone at the center. It could be a person or it could be an organization, but in the network model, it's really kind of like a web. You know, there are a lot of um, examples in nature, like the mycelium, right? Or the starlings, the murmuration of starlings that we've all seen, right? Like, there's no leader, right, in a murmuration of starlings, but the whole group, like, could be hundreds and thousands of birds, right? Um, they move as if there's a cohesive and coherent intelligence in them as one organism. And it's fascinating, right? So, um, and there are many other examples like that in nature. So, in, in networks, we seek to create um, structures that, that can, can be like that, like, right? like each, each node in the network can have sort of people circled around that particular node for a time, for a reason, until it changes, just like the starlings. So there is what we call minimal viable structure about coordination of a network. Often there is a, a core team and it can have rotating um, membership to the core team. It is seen as a kind of a service leadership model, right? People there, people are there generally without pay uh, because they care about the network. They're stewards of the network, right? And for that time, they're in the core team. Yes, indeed, they have more power, but they wouldn't be on that team forever. Right. Um, and people sort of help to create more uh, different perspectives by serving on the core team. And also the core team is generally more than one person. So there is a diversity of perspectives and 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 um, various decision making processes, which sometimes is done by the core team, but sometimes by the whole network, depending on the significance right of the decision at hand so the different consent-based decision-making processes also is a way to make it visible how everyone in the network feels about it so that um, the decision is not just behind doors which is a very much a you know easy way for power to be concentrated and to be sort of excluded right from from the larger network so the transparency and some of these relatively simple structures can do a lot to uh, make sure the power is available to anyone who cares enough to take the power in a um, model of service and stewardship. Uh, in a in another conversation, you said that there are like multiple networks that we are all engaged in, maybe even without knowing. I would be yeah. network of, of mothers, but we are not talking specifically about impact networks. So, so that has a little bit more, I would say, maybe power, direction, urgency to it. Mm-hmm. Incomparably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. Like we all participate in social networks, right? That's just how uh, humans are have always sort of structured their social life in a way. Um, so in it, so there are social networks, and then there are learning networks. And when people sort of connect together with a more explicit process, uh, purpose of learning right, then there are learning network. And there are many organizations that have a learning network around it. And there are also many, many sort of support networks are essentially learning networks as well. 
But then it can also be an action network if people actually have the energy to combine their actions together, right? The, the question always to ask for action networks or impact networks is, what can we do together that we, we cannot do alone? And it's a question to ask uh, all the time, right? Of, of each other and of oneself in an action network. Um, so that's what distinguishes the action network from the learning network. And often the action network, uh, there can be multiple of them. And together, sometimes they create what's called the movement network. So for example, in the US, the civil rights movement, right? Eventually, you know, it, uh, initially it's people in each other's living rooms, right? Um, and then it became certain action networks and then it became a movement network. And it was able to, you know, change a whole country and its culture. So it, it is very interesting how this sometimes happens. Another idea I really like is called evolutionary clustered, evolutionary clusters. Um, I heard it from uh, Mary Catherine Bateson, who's the daughter of Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson. And the evolutionary clusters, the idea is when an ecosystem may be in trouble, it's, the, it's basically a set of organisms, organisms within the ecosystem, and it's a relationship between them that make it a stronger whole, that can make it survive the collapse of the ecosystem, and the new ecosystem is birthed from within the old one. So I very much believe that things like the civil rights movement is like that because it's being joined with like-minded people and I want to say kindred souls that gave each that gave each of them more courage to do what they care about, right? And to amplify what they do uh, together, right? They they did training together, right? To know how to be faced with prejudice and with hate and hate crimes, right? And they learned how to speak in a way that, you know, resonates um, with, with various audiences. And they, they, they found support and, and courage and, and, and more energy with each other, right? And this over time, enabled things that they could not, they could never do alone, right? And it also gave more inspiration to those more on the periphery of what they were doing as well. So this is how really change happens. So I definitely believe whether with the climate change or with diversity inclusion issues, we are seeing that as well, that there needs to be people who are joining together on things that they deeply care about. And on prototyping new ways of living and working together. And that can give more and more in examples as well as inspiration for others to do something similar for what they care about. Do you have an example for a great impact network that you could share with me and, and the audience that makes it um, a little bit more tangible, how that could look like? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm part of this network Converge by Impact. We're a network ourselves, right? It's not an organization. It's not a company. It's not a nonprofit. We're all independent, but we work together because we can do more significant work together than alone. So I would say we ourselves, the 13 of us, are one example of how people can be organized together in uh what I see as a future of work. And so I, I want to say a little bit more about this, which I is I feel that how most work is structured today, where people, you know, get a, a salary from a company, right? And is that essentially expected to work full time, right? Like they that their mission should be aligned with the company's vision is actually in general highly inefficient because we all are diverse, you know, multitudes within one person that we care about many different things. So I feel it's actually more aligned with, with you know, both the individual and the collective for us to be contributing to multiple networks concurrently, right? 
that we contribute some value and we get some value from each of them instead of in a sort of a salary relationship, which is there is a definite hierarchy, right? That, that you know, there's dependency on that money and therefore on that hierarchy, right? And it becomes extremely difficult to do something that's not aligned with the hierarchical view, right? With the people who started the company or who people who are heads of the company. So that's one example. And then some of Converge's projects, um, one of them has to do with land stewardship in a large area, right? Where there are um, logging companies, where there are Native American tribes, where there are preservation uh, organizations seeking to preserve the forest, right? So there are potentially conflicting views and values yet they realize they cannot really steward a large part of land of you know forest for longevity without really talking with each other so um, by creating the trust within these organizations they were able to initiate new projects that they would have never been able to do separately right that helps that that is in the in the uh, aligned with with basically a very long view of the forest, yeah, and so I would say many of the sort of <laughs> tricky or uh, difficult problems, intractable problems of today, can be uh, better addressed by networks. For example, homelessness in the United States, right, or cities actually essentially are networks. Um, there are there are you know many perspectives brought together, and how do we coexist and help each other thrive? Right, that takes that takes a great deal of collaboration and a great deal of emergence. So um, I would say cities are a key way to prototype how we can how we can create a living environment that works that works for more people, and is in a way that's aligned with the future given the global context that we're in. So those are some examples. Uh, Converge does do some projects with some localities, right, including cities or uh, sometimes farm uh, farmlands as well, where there are also diverse stakeholders. But those are all examples of where, um, you know, the different perspectives need to come together um, and and have a mind about have a mind for systemic change. So, so in, in that case, Converge is also a learning network because it learns yes. how, how to be a network, a functional Correct. network. Absolutely. Uh, yes, we're, we're teaching the network mindset because there is, um, there, there is a way of being, right? As always, that inform the way of doing when it's sort of magnified by network scale, meaning it spreads from one person to another and throughout the network, that actually can have a great deal of, of, of impact, right? Because we all work with others. And so when we work, when we are present, right? And when we work differently with the relationship and with the complexity of the situation, those who we, are work, those who we work with are affected as well. So one is to have a living systems worldview, right? And to understand something of complexity, right? Um, I think we, we are all aware of it, but it's useful to understand some of the sort of mental models of complexity, right? And to basically realize our own purposes as well and how we, uh, it becomes less about like, you know, this, this person with this particular name, but more about like, why are we here? really right like what do we deeply care about and how do i um how do i live my life in a creative way so i'm more in service of that purpose yeah and to participate in small ways in our life on sort of servant leadership right we all are in various communities right social networks and you know being a parent uh, being a, a child to elders etc how can we be of service to those around us how can we um uh 
distribute decision making to those around us and facilitate that, right? Instead of like grabbing power where we can, the distribution of power in our own daily lives can actually be very empowering for the people around us, right? Who come with different worldviews, but they see small examples, essentially a fractal of how things could be. Um, and be very relationship oriented and be very emergent, right? Like we and have basically a learning mindset, right? Like we are constantly, we don't know who we are going to be. And we don't know what the world needs from us today, right? What's our response now to the situation at hand? What's our response to our children, to our elders, etc.? Yeah. So those, those ways of practicing can be very transformative and also transformative for those around us. For the millennials and, and, and after, um, they definitely see that they should belong to multiple networks, right? For, for their different interests and passions and that they can find sounding board and collaborators with each of them. And it's sort of expected. They expect that, right? right? They expect to be seen um, for their whole selves, I would say. Um, whether or not they collaborate in the network model, I think is yet to be seen. I think this particular way of organizing and it also has to do, of course, like how people are compensated for their contribution is still is still is still just emerging. I think a lot of this, like so many uh, advances in in society, has to do with technological uh, changes, right? So um, apps like Slack that makes communication more visible and also blockchain technology that makes transaction much more transparent, right? And distributed um, has done a lot to, uh, I would say with the younger people to give them the capability of organizing differently. So I would say, especially the technologically oriented young people they all have some awareness of um, the crypto world, right? And DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations. And I do think, I do think in time, that way of organizing would be way more common, which essentially is a network way of organizing that people are not um, contracted, right? Or bound to single organizations, but they can tap into multiple ones based on interest and based on level of contribution. So I think they will in time have a lot of fluency with this organization, but I think it's still, it's still very new. So in you know in a typical organization, I can speak for myself that you know it's really so much about like carrying out a, a task, right, an objective, you know, KPI or whatever language we use. And you can work with someone pretty closely for many months, but we know very little about them, right? Because it's really about just carrying out that particular project. But in a in a network, it's much more focused on trust. Right, like there, you would spend time getting to know one another, and even though it may seem slower at first, we actually all prioritize relationship and the sort of projects we choose have a lot to do with the people we're collaborating with. So if you if that trust is already there, the project would happen more seamlessly and and faster in in the long run. On, on the same time, I, I work with a lot of uh, hierarchical organizations and, and in some way, it's also very much relationship focused and also network. So, so I yes. think organizations have different layers. One layer might be or is a hierarchical rela relationship that's always there. But then there's another layer that's a web of relationships between people. Otherwise, nothing would ever work. And without trust, it's also in, in traditional organization, it gets really difficult to get complex problems solved in, in some reasonable time. So Absolutely. It, I, I don't think that there is a total absence of these things and, and even more, it's even more needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Often in large um, organizations, there are networks, right, that, that are across different departments of the organization. 
And also there are hierarchies that work more like networks, right? If there are more transparency and access to information, if the decision-making is more distributed versus made by the top and then sort of disseminated down. Um, so, you know, depends on sort of the, the ethos of the people in the center, it may actually feel more like a network. And there are also networks that um, may actually function more like hierarchies, even though they have ostensibly a sort of a network model, decision-making may actually be kind of concentrated and it's actually more like a hierarchy. Yeah, in Converge, we also have the idea of partnership uh, and practitioners, right? So there are two different levels. So indeed people with sufficient seniority in this way of working are partners, right? So that's very similar to a large firm where the partners are essentially trusted to make fairly high level decisions, right? And then it's sort of facilitating information flow um, among, among them, right? That creates more of a network cohesion. So the consent-based decision-making process, uh, what we call fist to five, accomplishes a couple different things. So one is that the consensus model, right? Right, where everyone has to agree can actually be really slow and cumbersome because it may take a long time sort of kind of lobbying to get everyone on board. Whereas the consent-based decision-making is essentially, unless everyone strongly objects the decision, the proposal is a go. And anyone can also bring a proposal. So it makes it much, uh, it reduces the barrier of entry for the proposal process. And then the fist to five, essentially, uh, um, it also creates uh, roles. A five is like, I care strongly about this issue. I'm all for it. I'm also happy to lead, to lead, the, to lead it through completion. And four, three, and two um, are basically different levels of um, concern. And a zero is that I have so much concern that I'm willing to block it at this current stage, right? Like, unless this is significantly revised, I am not on board. And that that vote would would block the, the project in a network model. So basically it would be, let's hear, let's hear the objections. Let's go back to the drawing board and come up with a different proposal. So this is, I would say, in my view, a better model than things like RACI, right, or RAPID, where there are, are different kinds of uh, roles connected to the project, whether it's like accountable or responsible versus informed consulting, etc. Because this actually um, it doesn't have to depend on sort of people's level in the hierarchy on their decision-making power uh, or on their sort of perceived expertise. Because it actually, you know, in a hierarchical organization, we don't know sufficiently about people's capabilities or people's level of informedness about a project. Often we assume too much just based on sort of people's title. So this lead partner follow role, um, again, enables more people in different levels of the hierarchy to play a strong role in a project. More visibility for them, more leadership role, right? This is one of the ways that anyone in the network can be a leader. Do you need a special like types of characters or is this something that's also inviting the quiet people the shy people yeah. the a little bit more um introvert word people because i think th this would make it really extremely interesting Yeah, I mean, the human dynamics and the interpersonal or group dynamics are always going to be present, right? So it's never going to be sort of solved or made different by a structure. But I would say the network um, idea or mindset does include the idea of diversity of perspectives, right? One of the reasons why we organize, want to organize it as a network is to have that diversity of perspectives, right? Often for a purpose, um, uh, you know, network, you, you want to have the people who traditionally may not be at the table, right? Those who are impacted by this purpose, for example, those who may be displaced, right? Or those who are more marginal, marginalized traditionally. Um, 
because that's one of the strengths of the network is to have a way to make the diverse perspectives more visible, right? And with the sort of consent-based decision-making, like to have their concerns be visible and documented over time. So does that incorporate all the different sort of, you know, interpersonal characteristics? I, I think it goes a long way in doing so, but it will still take the awareness of the individuals, right? Um, of the, the network itself sort of to practice that. So I do think, you know, today the diversity and inclusion conversations are, are very rich and I think it's happening at the right time because I think it is in, in today's complex world, we need that. You know, we need indigenous ways of thinking, right? Because the, the mechanistic ways of thinking have gotten us to where we are and we know that we can't use the same way of thinking to solve today's problems. So um, an ability for the group to slow down enough to hear those who are more quiet, right? Or who processes information in a different way is ultimately for the strengths of the network and the purpose. But it takes discipline to practice it. Tools like nonviolent communication are very much connected to the network mindset, right? Um, uh, in, in Europe, I think like the art of hosting is and the work that reconnects uh, Joanna Macy's legacy uh, it has a lot to do with how networks have been made visible and applicable in sort of any kind of group situation. So some of those tools of ritual and of present presencing and communicating from the heart and with feelings are necessary tools of working in a mindset, which is also connected to the, I, I would say the, in today's workplace, the desire to sort of have our whole selves be present. Yeah. And, and at the same time, our whole selves can be quite complicated and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So we need those tools to deal yes. with each other because one yes. of the main reasons in hierarchies we don't want the whole selves is because we don't want to deal with the complicateness and the complexity of, of human emotions in the workplace. We just want them to function. And on the other side, we just miss out the creativity and the beautiful part of that too. One, question, one thing I would like to talk with you about is also uh, like key challenges in establishing sure. a network. And from my experience, establishing a network is maybe not the most difficult part, but then to keep it going and yeah. to really come to the point where it creates some impact. When, when I think about some networks I was invited to in the beginning, people were extremely enthusiastic, like the purpose, like bringing mindfulness into Austrian politics and we met and we had so many ideas and then we even did some nice events and some created folders on the website and so on. And everybody was contributing. And over time, you could see there were those meetings and then over time, the commitment mm -hmm. somehow drifted and, 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 and melted apart. And then in the end, there were only like three people showing up every time and then people got frustrated and we had all this discussion about commitment and how we organize ourselves and who does what and suddenly we didn't create any impact but just some toxic conversations and then people got hurt and then people said I'm leaving now and now I'm staying and then we had all these conflict conversations and in the end um, we dissolved kind of without really mm -hmm. having created something great mm -hmm. and and I think like how to keep this level of commitment and also functionality going and so this is a challenge that I saw so my question to you would be what is the challenges that you see mm -hmm. and what are critical key success factors to keep it really going and to a point that it can create something absolutely I, this work is not easy um, what we call participant engagement is forever a, a key key thing to talk about right in networks um, and it's important to remember that we're operating in a context where there is a sense of lack, right, for most people, that they have to prioritize uh, 
their time based on how much money they would get, right, by by their contributions. So when we when we operate networks, it's always in some ways in conflict, right, with the existing structures and people's work life and so on. So it is. So it is also just hard. I would love a world where there's universal basic income and we can more choose how we spend our time based on what we care about, right? So, so in the current context, I would say the key things is sort of the richness of relationships. That trust is so important. So in, in our own Converge network, the reason why uh, it, it took about two years um, for the growing of the network, for the learning network to be part of the action network, uh, which is how sort of I joined Converge. And the reason why I kept coming back, right, even though there are many other networks I could join, and there were uh, a couple that I joined for a time and then left, is because with Converge, these are the people I want to work with. And these are the people I want to live with in some way because they are, um, there's such rich, <laughs> diverse, and like soulful individuals that I connect with. And in some ways with CCG, right? It is like the friendship that's formed through the work-like conversations that keeps me coming back, right? So um, often that is necessary with in-person time, right? Like there's, there's a sort of magic of, of connection. Um, but when you're not together all the time, that it takes intentional, what we call weaving, of, of to sustain the connection, right? To keep, to have the sort of the consistency or continuity of being able to reflect to each other what we deeply care about, right? to be present in each other's life enough to know the context, right? Children are growing up, there's a war going on, there's COVID, there's aging parents, et cetera, right? To actually like hold the whole person with each other. And that doesn't have to be like, you know, deep long conversations each and every time, but it does take significant moments of connection throughout, throughout some time. So often, you know, like, a quarterly convening would be ideal in person. If not, then maybe twice a year. Um, but in between every other month, there may be some kind of time to connect online um, and small collaboration projects as well, because it is through working together that you sort of deepen your knowledge of each other and how you, how, you know, just sort of the idiosyncrasies about how you, how you work together. Um, so it is the intentionality of the coordination of the weaving of making sure the energy is continuing to flow in the network and how much you care about that purpose. You worked at LinkedIn as an executive, which is actually based on creating connection between people. That's the whole purpose of LinkedIn. And at the same time, you lived in a monastery and, um, and now you work in multiple networks and you're not an mm -hmm. artist. Uh, what experience did you make in your personal life that is drawing you now towards impact networks and also helping them like to cultivate, to explore them, research them, teach them and bring them into the world. Yeah, uh, often sort of life happens to us in a way and then we adapt to it, right? And then we find that actually this is, has been a part of us all along. So for me, initially when I lived in the monastery uh, for my own needs, right? I just, that just a spiritual practice. I needed to sort of stay uh, connected to myself and And then, of course, initially, I was hesitant to talk about that in my workplace, right, in Silicon Valley. But eventually I did, mostly because I have my own small team. Um, and there are young people and they're sort of very, you know, eager to absorb a lot, right? So I started slowly sharing that part of my life. And then I was really kind of surprised by how much they resonated with both 
seeing more of myself, right? Like I became a fuller person to them, not just their manager, but a person with like different aspirations and passions and so on. And they also, they also connected with the language, things like basic goodness, right? About trusting oneself, right? Even if we make mistakes, like trust our basic goodness and trust the basic goodness of others. So don't worry too much about like saying the wrong thing in a meeting, just lean in and make a mistake if you have to, because you're, you're increasing your creative range. So there are small examples of like this, where connecting with uh, what may be some of the Buddhist language actually made a lot of sense to them, even if they come from very different cultures and spiritual backgrounds. Um, so over time, I started to do that more and more. And, you know, some of them visited the Zen temple with me and got a lot out of it. So I just started to blur the boundaries of life and work and I encouraged them to do the same, right? So I learned about their sort of long time volunteering goals. I learned about their, you know, desire to um, have a child and so on. And so it, they became fuller people to me and that dramatically increased our level of connection. They really it really was very rich and very rewarding. And that is, I would say, the most um, emotionally like connected workplace I have with my team. Um, and and I, I'm proud of to be able to create that culture. So that definitely, I would say, led to seeing how uh, most net workplaces actually do not have that element, right? You could work with someone for a long time very closely and not know the most significant thing that's happening in their life. So I very much desired to, you know, once you have something that's sort of very rich and rewarding, you can't go without it anymore. So then I, I simply wanted to have this element of, of deep connection with my, with the people I work with that, that became non-negotiable for me. So then when I uh, was able to connect with good friends uh, to converge and seeing how we can sort of share in the parenting journey and how our, our, our cares for the big problems of the world. And I can co collaborate on concrete projects with these people. It was a definite yes even though financially you cannot compare to a corporate job. Um, but it's so rewarding, right? Like we are, we do get so much value from the intangibles, right? And so for me, it was a process of making the intangible way more tangible and way more um, explicit. And so I made, I became more clear in what I need, right? The, of the intangibles. And I do think, I do think that is happening for a lot of people, right? They want, they want their workplace life to be significantly meaningful, right? And especially the young people today, I think they're, they're basically demanding it. And overall, I see that's a good thing. Um, so yeah, for me, I would say the network way of working is very much the how. I, I, I do believe this is the future of work. I do think it's a much better way of organizing. It's basically a, a form of biomimicry of how nature works. And I think we need that in today's world. And I'm learning, I'm learning the specific how, and then I can connect it to, um, I am connecting it to my own purposes of connected to art and community, but I'm learning the how to do it. When you feel fully seen and heard, it is, it is, it becomes uh, like food, right? Like you, mm. you really, you really would miss it strongly if it was not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of that time, yeah. right? Like we're trained to be yeah. cogs in the machine, right? Yeah. Instead of yeah. the whole self. Yeah. I and mean, it's a process of disintegration, right? Yeah. Departmentalization. Yes. Actually, it never really worked. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. It, it came yeah. with a huge price. It never really worked. And uh, only at the cost of a huge dysfunctionality. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And people don't, most people don't feel belonging in their workplaces. And mm. what a loss yeah. that is. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't feel they belong. They don't feel they can develop. So right. I was always thinking if this is possible in hierarchical organizations, but I think 
in some way this dependency is a strong impediment to it. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's a power differential. So that, that yeah. really makes uh, uh, difficult conversations really, really hard to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Most people don't trust that underneath the conflict, there's potential for deeper connection. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But when yeah. there is a hierarchy, it actually makes it the structurally, it's very difficult for that um, deeper trust to happen. And then the whole organization is not learning and adapting, right? If they are sort of skirting around the conflict. Yeah, right. One of the key distinctions we talk about uh, in terms of the network model is trust, not control. But it oh. can take a lot of transformation for people yeah. to be a, to be comfortable with giving up that control. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that we didn't touch upon that that's important to you to share? Um, I would say the first thing, like always, is observation, right? And noticing the networks around us all the time and how they, how they do work, right? For me, I always draw so much inspiration from nature. So, you know, I remember it wasn't so long ago when I learned that sort of the roots of trees actually operate kind of like a massive brain, right, in a forest. And it's a, it's a, it's a mycorrhizal networks among the tree roots that essentially are kind of the neurons in our brain. So, you know, our brain is a network, the forests are, are networks, right? And very much like a brain. So actually just recognizing that these kinds of um, intelligent networks are actually everywhere, right? And then to sort of, for me, that's, that's beautiful, right? And humbling to know how I can be just like, a member of that network, right? Be a tree among a forest. And if there is communication happening and I'm not a, a, a solo entity. And that really, for me, has a embodied way of changing how I feel about, about what I have to do, right? Like I, there's a bit of sense of relaxation that sort of I am held by networks right and i am part of the ecosystem no matter what right on um, different levels the human system as well as the actual the nature ecosystem so that allows me to feel more safe and connected and that changes how i communicate and how i relate to others mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there there is no no sort of hierarchy in in, in the sense of like um different levels of power, right? Like the small organisms have just as much power as the larger organisms, organisms right? And so it, it really is so, op so, so opposite of the hierarchical worldview. So just, just recognizing uh, nature's organization for me is just learning and sort of grounding in, in countless ways. Mm, yeah. And, and of course, there are, there are mammals and animals that have very strong hierarchies on the other way. So it's, it's, um, it's both there, also in nature, right? Well, I would yeah. say, yeah, there, there was a really good distinction made in different kinds of hierarchy. So there is, um, I think they called it um, nested hierarchy. Yes, that's it. So they're in the sort of There are, you know, sort of the family, the, the genus, etc., right? That kind of hierarchy. But, but every, every part of that hierarchy is actually equally important in an yeah. ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we know like the wolves are actually not more significant than the deer or than the sort of, you know, insects, right? Etc. So, so even though there is sort of the, you know, relationship of, um, yeah, these sort of levels of hierarchy of categorization, they don't have differential power. Yeah, on an individual basis, yes, you could see there's predator and prey, but in an ecosystem view, they're equally important. Yeah, and so that's, if, that's if you zoom important. out, if, if you look yes, at, if you right. have the holistic view on it, yes, it, it levels out, it doesn't really exactly. matter. It's, it's exactly. just uh, functional in, in relation to small 
situation or that's right that's right yeah, yeah and it is important for us to, to continually move away from the individualistic worldview to the living yeah. systems or holistic worldview because i think that the question i was asking is is because there are like some attitudes or philosophies saying it's very natural uh, to humans to be in this kind of um hierarchies And it's like a natural thing, but it's not. So, so this is just yeah. a misconception, I think. Uh, I, that, agree. I agree. That, that, that really is, is a pretext to continue exploitation. Uh, exactly. <laughs> kind exactly. Of, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it led us to where we are today. Right? So yeah, we, yeah. We absolutely. To and that that's, yeah, I, th I think that's, that's so easy. If you just look where we are, we could say, okay, that's whatever it is, it doesn't work. It's exactly. The impact is not what we want. Correct. Um, great. So, yeah, thank you, Yang. I think that's, and, and also this conversation is just the beginning in, in tapping into this huge topic of networks that's overwhelming. And for people who are interested in learning more about it, um, can I share like everything about Converge? You made a beautiful yes. movie uh, that I, I can really recommend and I will to put it in the show notes yes please and, do uh, uh there's a yeah there's a toolkit that's all free to anybody who wants to use it for the specifics of facilitating and convening a network and so on mm. uh, it draws on a lot of the you know group dynamics uh that's been shared in multiple cultures mm. um you know that's just a lot of like wisdom um that we that we are we're standing on Yeah. yeah, I think we're we're helping to sort of continue this discourse of how we organize and how we collaborate. My pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. 